0: Welcome to Coast to Coast Podcast. We are back here with episode 33. I'm your host, Kyle Creasy, and today we are back here with a fun episode talking about the Mavericks and the Bucks. Um, first, first portion of the pod, I have on Grant F. Seth, who is a contributor for DallasBasketball.com. He covers the Mavericks. Um, And then had on Nathan Marzion, and he is a contributor to Behind the Bucks, uh, something he does on the side he really enjoys. He's really big on Bucks Twitter. Um, I give these guys both a shout-out whenever I go into my conversations with them. Um, but really really a lot of fun, uh, something that I think you guys will enjoy uh, in the Mavericks talk and in the Bucks talk, just kind of talking about these these two teams, how their season's going, kind of the outlook going forward. Uh, just a really good time and some really, really good conversations with a lot of substance uh, for two guys that clearly know their teams very well and um, came well prepared and just, just really fun conversation, man. I'm I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. Uh, just a quick announcement before I get to these. Um, if you're a longtime listener, you know that we used to have stock risers and stock fallers, and that is going to be something that is brought back. So I'm really excited to bring that to you guys. And I'm also going to do another Q and a. So we did a Q and a one time uh, over the summer where you, uh, our listeners could submit questions or just topics, anything that they wanted to be discussed on the pod. And we had one pod dedicated just towards that. So we're going to be doing that again here in the near future. So just stay on the lookout for that. Uh, again, if you're not following the Twitter, it is at Coast number two Coast NBA. So at Coast Two Coast NBA got all kinds of stuff on there every single day stats updates thoughts uh there's a there's a game update for every single game every single day um just letting you know who won you know who we think was the player of the game and then keeping you guys updated with their records as the season goes so you know go give a follow if you don't uh just stuff that can keep you updated um Know really excited for you guys to hear this. Like I said, you know, I can't say it enough. Both very fun conversations. Um, the first one is Grant with the Mavericks, and the second one is Nathan with the Bucks. Um, yeah, just really excited. Got some more guests coming on. You know, these are the first two of many. You know, I had Jamal on last week, got these two guys on this week. You know, like I said, guys, it took some time off. I wanted to get the Twitter going. But we're really we're really taking off here and tr- trying to get a bunch of guests for you guys and be able to talk about all kinds of teams around the league from people who are actually uh, maybe covering those teams or are big in those teams' fan bases. So really looking forward to it. But with that being said, let's jump straight into some uh, Mavericks and Bucks talk with Grant and Nate. Now I would like to welcome Grant Avseth to the podcast. Uh, Grant, got a hold of him on Twitter i don't know maybe like a week ago uh grant covers the dallas mavericks for dallasbasketball.com uh grant glad to have you on man
1: yeah thanks for having me i'm looking forward to talking uh, some basketball for sure yeah
0: um so grant can you just kind of tell the audience real quick kind of uh how long you've been with dallasbasketball.com and kind of what you do for them
1: yeah i've been with uh dallasbasketball.com for a little over two seasons um and uh yeah just basically doing uh you know uh covering games uh doing some analysis of the team and things of that nature for sure yeah that's awesome man
0: um and then you know you were telling me just re- uh, right before we hopped on here that you worked with the pacers before this uh could you just kind of tell our audience a little bit about that
1: yeah i uh i covered the pacers uh for the kokomo tribune uh in the past um and uh yeah, basically for uh, quite a few seasons, um, I think for three seasons total. Um, yeah, before uh, shifting over to uh, the Mavericks as uh, the team that I cover, for sure. Sweet. And then you were also telling me that this is like, this is your first in-person
0: stuff for the Mavericks, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I covered uh, the Pacers while I was at school at uh, Arizona State um, and did a call kind of like, kinda remotely. I, I went to some, like, road games uh, when they were kind of my general uh, territory of the country. Like, uh, I drove to, like, Los Angeles and stuff whenever they were playing, like, the Clippers and the Lakers. But, yeah, then uh, after I switched to the Mavericks, uh, I, I went to some games prior, uh, like, you know, during the the coronavirus seasons. But, like, yeah, there was nothing like uh, post-game podium type stuff. You're just kind of in the arena uh, hanging out um, on Zoom, uh, <laughs> unlike uh, – you Know, like the the way it is now for sure.
0: Yeah, uh, that's awesome, man. Well, again, glad to have you on. Um, if you guys don't know him uh, on Twitter at Grant G R A N T AF S E T H. So, Grant as AF S E T H on Twitter d- puts out some great stuff. Uh, I like to go read his articles, that's how I first started getting to know him. Just kind of popped up on the timeline on my personal account. But yeah, excited to have you on. So, you know, let's get straight into it, man. The Mavericks currently are 13 and 11. Um, A few nights ago, they were 10 and 11, or I guess like a week ago. Uh, They ended up being 10 and 11 after a a brutal loss to the Pistons. Um, But, you know, they kind of bounced back a little bit since that loss, uh, winning three games. Uh, Just from your kind of perspective, what is the current feel around the team right now?
1: Yeah, I think right now a lot of it has been uh, kind of living and dying by the three. Um, you know, Jason Kidd recently actually uh, kind of said that's that's kind of how their team operates. I think after they beat the Knicks uh, at Madison Square Garden, um, you know, they had some shooters like uh, you know Tim Hardaway. Uh, and Reggie Bullock that were really cold to start the season. Like, uh, you know, when you filtered out like certain uh, volume for three-point shooting stats, they were like really, re- like, league worst. Uh, among like medium plus volume for like, uh, open, uh, you know, wide open threes, open threes, all that stuff. Um, but you know, Hardaway's, you know, definitely found a rhythm uh, lately. I think, uh, you know, him and Luca have both been hot for the last like, you know, five games. Uh, you know, they actually just like basically were the first set of teammates to, to make four plus threes in like five straight games. Really? Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, he went from really cold to like just obnoxiously hot, like uh, during that stretch. Uh, I think he's averaging six made threes, uh, as well, and no one's averaging uh, as much as him during that span. So, yeah, he went from really cold to like as hot as imaginable. <laughs> it's been crazy. Good. Um,
0: you, you know, they just signed, uh, Kimball Walker as well. You know, there's obviously been, uh, some holes in terms of just being able to handle the ball and, you know, run the offense. Uh, what, do you have any kind of insight on that or any kind of report of like where that's kind of going right now? I mean, I, he yes. was, wasn't he with the G league affiliate or is he, is he still there?
1: Uh, yeah, he went there to, uh, basically get like some, uh, some extra work in, uh, like while the, um, like basically uh, like to continue his like uh, acclimation process or, or ramp up, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it doesn't sound like he's going to have like much of a substantial role with the team. Um, like he basically, uh, uh, Nico Harrison, uh, the Mavs GM went on the radio recently. Uh, and he said that like, uh, basically he's going to replace the role that uh, Facundo Campazzo was in. Okay. And uh um, uh, I basically, uh, see that as kind of being like an out of the rotation guy who, uh, steps up whenever, uh, there's injuries or things of that nature, unless there was something that like really changes. But, uh, yeah, it didn't sound like they have too much confidence in his knee kind of holding up over a long duration of time. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I thought that, that
0: pickup was kind of interesting to me. Just, uh, it just is what it is, I guess. Um. But, you know, the, the Mavs regular season, I just wanted to point this out. It's been a little weird in the, like, Luka era. Obviously, his rookie years, is his rookie year. But then in 2020, you know, they were in seventh. Um, last year, until the deadline, they were really struggling. Obviously, they picked some things up. The deadline ended up being, I guess it was like the fourth or fifth seed. I don't remember. Um, and then they're seventh right now. What do you What do you think it is? that just keeps them, because Luca continues to ascend, and I want to talk about Luca here in a second, but do you think there's anything in particular that kind of holds this team back?
1: Yeah, I think it definitely, um, a lot of it has to do with their reliance, um, like just crazy reliance on three-point shooting. Um, I think uh, they've kind of utilized a lot of options uh, around Luca that um, are pretty one-dimensional. Um, like to start the season uh, you know they're inconsistent with like uh, you know Dorian Finney-Smith uh, Reggie Bullock and then mm-hmm. with like a uh, play finishing five like JaVale McGee uh, and then you know switching to Dwight Powell um, I, I think there's a, a lack of like uh, dynamic element to where when the threes aren't falling this is what we can turn to and rely on to win at a high level on a consistent basis um, so when those threes aren't dropping it, it looks kind of ugly and uh uh, you know when they're they're converting shots it looks great like it's actually kind of an interesting thing when you see like non maverick centric uh, people uh, watching games and, and commentating on it you know like whether on Twitter or in the broadcast it honestly seems like their opinion is purely uh, uh derived from when the threes are falling when the threes drop oh they're moving the ball uh you know this is great when they're not dropping luca's selfish and and he's not moving the ball and needs to trust his teammates it's actually uh kind of fascinating like it's the same approach but the outcome is kind of dictating that perception on a game-by-game basis
0: yeah you know i I feel i like to consider that i've had a a close eye on luca opposed to just like the national tv games because I I mean, I I admit I'm a Clippers fan and, you know, going through two playoff series against him was just brutal. And so just paying close attention to him after that first time that the Clippers played the Mavericks in the playoffs. um, It's just sensational what he's able to do on a basketball court. You know, I just want to touch on what he's doing right now. He's averaging 33 points, almost nine assists, almost nine rebounds, shooting 50 percent from the floor, 35 percent from three and 72% from the line. His free throws have been what's the issue with his free throws?
1: Yeah, I think the thing with Luka's free throws has been kind of interesting throughout his career because uh it seems like between uh the free throws and a step back three, it's rare that like uh he's clicking uh on both at the same time. Uh you know, I think it's kind of a mechanical thing uh like with inconsistency. Um, you know, sometimes uh I think he's kind of having an issue with in both in terms of slinging a shot. Um, But yeah, I think uh, you know, later on as he like kind of plays through his career, it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of establish like kind of some consistency uh, with both of those things at the same time.
0: Yeah, for sure. Cause I just remember specifically, man, that the, uh, the second time that the Clippers and the Mavericks played in the playoffs, uh, he, he really struggled from the free throw line then. And, as, like you said, there's been no real developed consistency since then. So it is weird, and may- maybe he'll be able to do that one day. But um, Just kind of acknowledging back to his three-point shooting, over his last 10 games, he's actually 41.7% from three on over eight attempts a game. So that seems like it's starting to click. Uh, I, remember, I remember the first, like, 10 games, or so, I think he was shooting in the higher 20s, and, like, he's totally capable of way better than that. So, you know, I, I think he's going to continue to probably progress from that standpoint. Um, you, you actually wrote an article about on some of this early in the season, um, Luca posting up more and there's 38 guys who have had 30 or more post-ups so far this season. And Luca is tied for third and post-ups per game from though, from that group of guys. And he's all, he's almost averaging 1.05 points per possession on those, which, you know, pretty solid. Um, you know, what did you get just to kind of touch on your article? What did you get from Jason Kidd as to why they're posting him up more?
1: Yeah, I think the big thing is that uh, you know, kind of forces the defense to send double teams in different ways. Um, You know, when it's all the high pick and roll and like drawing switches, having to like break down the defender, um, you know, out in space and get into the paint over and over again um, can kind of wear wear you down. Um, I feel like it also uh, sometimes teams get really aggressive, kind of uh, you know, overloading um you know whenever they have like a non uh, shooting threat like a uh, Kleba or Wood kind of spacing out um so then it like kind of becomes a situation like even against the Nuggets last game um where you know he's kind of attacking into a crowd um so i think uh with the post-ups it uh at least you know gives them another option uh that doesn't exert as much energy um to where it really like uh gets the the ball moving as well when they do send that double team in an easier way
0: yeah for sure um you know luca he broke i forgot did he tie or break that mj record of like consecutive 30 point games
1: yeah he actually um i think he he had it in nine consecutive games um and then uh wilt chamberlain i forgot the exact amount he had it in but uh-huh. he, he was the most all-time i think with like 23 or something like that in a row uh to start the season uh with like uh you know 30 point games but yeah, yeah his was the second longest uh streak ever uh it was it was pretty wild
0: yeah it was it was crazy and you know all the hype of luca being the MVP favorite. You know, last year it was a slow start, but this year coming off of uh, the FIBA stuff and really being in shape coming into this season, I mean, it's been dominance from day one. Um, You know, a a critique that people have had of the Mavericks is that there's still no, like, all-star level guy alongside Luca, And right now, currently, if the season ended today, it would be a career high in usage rate uh, according to basketball reference at 37.7% for Luca. Um, how do you think that the loss of Brunson this past off season has affected his usage rate going up even more?
1: Yeah, I definitely think, uh, you know, not having another uh, guy who can uh, kind of get into that paint area um, outside of the restricted area. Um, I think that's been one of the m- the main limiting things. Like if you go looking at the numbers, uh, for Brunson, kind of in that non-restricted uh, area um, in the paint, he's like, I think he's one of the leaders in total volume, uh, and he's been extremely efficient. And that's kind of what they missed, um, you know, or have missed so far this season. And what they really benefited from uh, throughout their playoff run is like they would space out. He could get downhill, um, and then if he didn't get all the way to the rim, he, you know, use all those like pivots and shot fakes, all that stuff to to still get a good look off. Um, and that's something that they really don't have now. Like Spencer Dinwiddie, it's pretty much the restricted area um, or bust uh, for him when he's kind of getting downhill. And then there's a lot of times when that restricted area isn't even clear uh, for him to kind of attack. If he doesn't lower the shoulder and draw a foul, um, he's pretty much not even looking at the rim and trying to, to kind of just pass out. And that's like a, that's the big difference for me is that uh, Brunson would not do that. He mm-hmm. had the counters and all that stuff to be able to, to still get a good, high-quality shot uh, for himself. And that's, uh, you know, when, when you kind of pass out in that situation, you know, the offense, it's later in the clock, um, and then there's a lot of pressure on the rest of the offense to uh, kind of overcome that.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you just kind of go down the depth chart to the archetypes of a lot of these guys, it's a lot of like catch and shoot or catch and go straight to the rim. And there's just, I mean, Luca might truly be the only one who's like catch and has the threat of really creating.
1: Yeah, it's definitely limited. And then, uh, Uh, there's a lot of guys even on their spot up threats who uh, are like mostly comfortable shooting in the corners. Mm -hmm. And then if you're going to try to play a lot of those guys together and try to like fill out a full unit of like, here's my ideal unit. um, It gets a little crowded uh, when it's like, all right, how many of these guys are going to actually be able to, uh, play above the break and then attack closeouts and like make a high quality passing read if they draw help. And like how many of these guys can even shot fake and like reload behind the three point line and make a three. Uh Like it's, it's kind of interesting when you watch other teams like Boston, all those other high level offenses, uh they got a lot of guys that can attack those closeouts in multiple ways.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, um You know, just kind of looking down the line before we get back into this season. Um, It's kind of weird going forward on their outlook of maybe getting a second star. Um, Kind of hard to say where any kind of move could come into play. You know, they still, I don't know how they, I don't know if they've worked out that pick yet, but at some point the Knicks get a a first round somewhere that's, that's top 10 protected for the Mavs. Have they worked that out in any sense or is that still something that's being worked out of whether it's this year, next year, or the year after?
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty much uh going to be this year and like uh if it uh is if they if they finish basically outside that top 10, they're they're pretty much going to give it up and then that really limits you. Um you know, like uh they'll have to really leverage future assets if they were to make a move now and then uh yeah, it's pretty that, that'd be pretty risky considering like, you know, with Porzingis uh he's not even on the roster still mm. um while they're still paying it out so then it's like all right what is that going to happen again uh if we do this too soon you know
0: yeah and it's just kind of really hard to tell now about who could potentially be available obviously in this in today's current NBA you just never know whenever a team might blow up um would this be something down the line you know in a few years like do you think that Dallas would be willing to give away a large, you know, a large sample of like pick equity for some kind of star.
1: Yeah, I think they're actually probably waiting for that. Um, like once this uh, this 2023 pick uh, that they owe to the Knicks conveys, I think um, kind of a little bit down the line uh, when they they have the ability to offer like this, you know, in the future, this current pick uh, plus. You know, future you know swaps and whatever. I think that's when they're going to be able to really uh, get aggressive. I think there's kind of at a, a, a stalemate or whatever you want to call it right now, where it's like you know a lot of teams could offer a better package if that player were to come available uh, now, and then they kind of know that and they're they're kind of restricted. Uh, but once they do have their full offering of picks available, then they could probably make that big swing uh, for sure.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Obviously, I don't have I don't I don't have any kind of way of knowing maybe what the Mavs front office would think, but I think that that's a big reason of why you don't see them kind of you don't see them linked to like these role players or like you don't see a lot of people talking about them going after role player because I think their move is down the line using a huge draft haul opposed to trying to marginally get better by going for the smaller role player type guys, you know, giving one first or two first for a group of guys. Their move I think is down the line sending a draft haul for a star.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with you there, and I think um, you know it kind of helps too that they've seen some progress uh, from Josh Green and his development lately. Um, and then there's enthusiasm about what like Jaden Hardy could accomplish. And if you know you're already a team that uh, it's hard for uh, young players to get a big opportunity. Um, using draft picks in the future might be challenging because then it's like when is that player going to kind of get worked into the mix when you kind of right. are already having struggles with uh, fully like kind of utilizing those other guys you you already have.
0: Although they don't have like a second star yet, um, th- they did go out and make a move this past off season where they acquired Christian Wood. You know, so far this season, he's averaging almost 17 points a game, almost eight rebounds a game shooting about 56% from the field and just under 41% from three. Um, When Christian Wood and Luca are on the floor together, they have a plus 9.5 net rating, uh, a 123.7 offensive rating, which would be number one in the NBA right now, even over the best offense in NBA history, Boston Celtics. Uh, The one thing that's a little concerning is the defensive rating, which is 114.2, which would be towards the bottom of the league. But considering that they're outscoring opponents by almost 10 points per 100 possessions, I guess you can kind of take that as you wish. What do you think it is about Christian Wood with Jason Kidd as to why he, you know, is so reluctant to maybe start him or close with him? Like, because a lot of people have asked some questions about it. Just is it a trust thing? Is what do you think it might be with the whole Jason Kidd and Christian Wood thing?
1: Yeah, I think in terms of starting, um, I think a lot of it, like, the, the messaging has mostly been about uh, kind of wanting him to, to be that sixth man, to kind of like be the focus of the offense, uh, you know, throughout games. Uh, but I do think, uh, you know, in the closing situations, um, it does seem that, uh, uh, you know, even uh, JaVale McGee, uh, you know, who's now a DNP uh, on a consistent basis, but even when he was starting, they wouldn't close with him either. Um, It seems uh, it definitely is a trust thing uh, in that respect. Um, I think he, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Kleba or Powell, um, I think he's kind of uh, utilized them defensively, um, you know, for that purpose. Um, I do think uh, at times uh, it's been rare, but, uh, you know, against the Nuggets uh, in their last game, they did uh, bring uh, Christian Wood out there for some offensive possessions um kind of down the stretch um it'll be interesting to see kind of how they uh, continue to go about that um, because uh you know they, they haven't really i think it's been like three games uh at most um if i remember correctly that they've actually like closed like in a legitimate basis uh yeah. in clutch time so yeah it'll be interesting to see kind of as this progresses like uh wh- what does he need to do to gain uh trust you know like uh um yeah it's definitely been something that a lot of people are. Uh, kind of talking about and keeping their eye on for sure because uh the results offensively are fantastic oh, yeah. there's a lot of things yeah there's a lot of things you like uh you know when you watch them like a uh, different way to put pressure on the defense uh, attack mismatches all that stuff but uh yeah it's just it's kind of one of those things where it's like you know how how long is this gonna you know kind of keep going because i think uh you know with him being unrestricted it's just kind of weird that you wouldn't at least just try it
0: yeah um, you know, some of my observations and some things that i pulled from cleaning the glass and synergy are he's shooting 57% from mid range, which is really good. Uh, he's in the 83rd percentile of all three point shooters with pretty decent volume, you know, shooting over three attempts a game. Um, 1.349 points per possession on catch and shoot looks, which is in the 89th percentile. Uh Pretty good as a ball screener for Luca from, you know, I went and watched all of Christian Wood as a screener clips today. Um you know, some of my biggest takeaways were really knows where to be and how to attack to score off of advantages when Luca is either blitzed or if they try to hard hedge Luca. Um, I think he's pretty good about popping against drop coverage to either shoot or catch and go. But the one thing that I think concerns me, uh, is whether it's clutch time or, you know, in a playoff series, is when he catches it off the pop or if he's catching it on like a short roll and Luca hits him early – He's kind of like head down going to the rim and never really looks to make like a play off of it. And so he can be pretty like ineffective whenever that kind of comes into play. Whenever And they've actually had situations where, you know, from my observations that he's getting in there and there's an easy kick to the corner or just a kick out. And I don't know, that was just intriguing to me because I think that that is kind of part of the trust thing, too, is offensively for kid probably making the right decision as well.
1: Yeah, for sure, and I think uh, in general too, it's like kind of interesting when you uh, like kind of uh, think about the psychology uh, from both standpoints as well, like or both perspectives, I should say. Uh, for for Christian Wood, it's like, all right, so I'm not playing thirty plus minutes, uh, and I'm getting this ball in the relative scoring position. I'm gonna just uh, you know look to get my own yeah. uh, instead of making that pass. But then it's like. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, if they did play him thirty plus minutes, what would the decision then be? Where (laughs) he knows he's going to close and all that stuff, and like, all right, if I make this pass, I'm going to get this later. So yeah, it's just kind of a weird, like, overall, like, uh, situation with layers. That's like, I I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it kind of like progresses and plays out. Uh, Because there's not much time to kind of get it all uh, figured out. (laughs) uh, You know, with with that contract, yeah. This this off season. And you know the trade deadline is going to get closer and closer, and I think they're eligible for an extension uh, starting Christmas Eve, okay. uh, and the number isn't great. Uh, I feel like personally for his value uh, to sign that, so it's even more complicated when you kind of throw that stuff in there too. Well,
0: isn't it like a? Is it like two or three years, and
1: it's something like 14, 15 million a year? Am I right on that? Or I think what it is is like the max he can do is a four-year, seventy-seven million dollar contract. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, yeah, I, I feel like, uh, that's a long commitment for like less than 20 million per year with, the, with, the, for what a lot of these guys, uh, you know, have kind of been going for, for sure. Yeah. Um,
0: I, I think it'll be interesting. I think it's, from my perspective, it doesn't seem like any kind of extension will be worked out there. I mean, you kind of touched on it, but is that, that what you could probably tell us as well?
1: yeah i think for my guess uh you know it's hard until they like kind of get close to that period and like yeah. you know kind of like get it all uh like like the, talked about and all that stuff but uh yeah just just for my uh kind of guess is that uh i think it would be very challenging uh to get that that done i think uh you know a lot like a lot of cap space is going to be opened up this off season around the league compared to recent years uh, i feel like it would be uh you know a little challenging. Uh, uh, you know, to kind of lock in that type of a long-term deal, which then becomes uh, interesting for the Mavs because, you know, they just lost Jalen Brunson yep. letting a guy hit unrestricted free agency. So, yeah, he gave up a first for Christian Wood. So, yeah, that, that'll be uh one thing to definitely keep an eye on.
0: Yeah, definitely something to watch. Um, and Just going back to some team stuff, um, they are currently the sixth offense in the NBA and 12th defense in the NBA, according to Clean the Glass. Uh, The defense has taken a step back in the past few weeks. They were fourth in the first month of the season. Um, Now from November 18th to this point, they are 17th. Uh, I I tried to go look at maybe why that's a thing. And just on the season overall, uh, they are fourth at forcing turnovers, which is good. Um, But they are 24th in free throw rate. So teams are getting to the line on them a lot. And, Uh, they're 26th at defending the rim. And I think that those things just kind of come from teams are probably hammering them at the rim just with a lack of a real rim protector. You know, JaVale McGee was brought in, but already, like you said, getting DMPs out of the rotation. You know, Dwight Powell's athletic, kind of helps on the glass, starts, but not like a real rim threat. but you know, he he knows where to be defensively, plays well, but just not some huge intimidator. And then Christian Wood is just not – defensive intimidator either um is there anybody that you think helps address that need for that team currently or are they just going to be kind of at a point where they just need to do the other things because teams are going to kill them at the rim all year
1: yeah i definitely think uh they're gonna have to play around some different stuff um because as you said like none of those guys are like an imposing uh like like high impact rim protector Um, You know, I do think uh, Christian Woods handled switching uh, pretty well. And I think he's getting better at avoiding fouls, uh, um, like kind of deep on the drives in those situations lately. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's something that he's been kind of uh, focused on. The team's been working on it with him. Um, You know, I I think, uh, you know, how that progresses, maybe that could uh, be a way to build trust um, to get kind of that closing opportunity um, that we touched on earlier. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, uh, I feel like if they really want a high level room protector, it's definitely not going to be like 34, 35 year old JaVale McGee. Uh, (laughs) there was no presence felt, um, uh, when he was out there. So yeah, um, I think, uh, that's when, you know, you get into the whole, uh, who's out there, who's going to be available type of thing, like, uh. You know the easiest uh, one on top of my head. If uh, you're kind of evaluating uh, like potential free agents that are out there, I would say like a Miles Turner. If you're not sold on uh, Christian Wood kind of being that answer um, mm-hmm. at that point, um, or if he just decides to to leave on his own uh, if there's no deal worked out. But yeah, I think uh, on the roster um, when you sign or not sign but acquire two total centers. Uh, and after Western Conference finals run, it's hard to say that the guys that were already on your team are viewed as those like answers for sure. Yeah,
2: I,
0: I like the, I like the miles Turner throw in uh, originally from Texas, uh, played college basketball, at Texas. Don't, don't think that's crazy or anything to, to try to look for him. Um, yeah. You know, another thing that I found was that currently I think that they're going to have to get much better at this, knowing that they're not going to be able to protect the rim very well. They're 20th at defending the three based off three point percentage. They were third in that last year. Um, I I obviously I'm not going to be able to see every three pointer that every team has hit against them this season. But I did try to go look at about a fourth of those clips. Uh, Some of the things that I really found and took note of was just it. It felt to me like a lot of people know that the Mavs are going to switch a lot and really we're targeting kind of hammering getting Christian Wood and Spencer Dinwiddie switching off the ball to get guys open for catch and shoot looks I just think that that's going to have to be figured out somehow because you can't be getting killed at the rim at the rim and at the three-point line
1: yeah I definitely agree and I think uh one game that was very interesting to kind of like look back on in particular was when they kind of had that Almost improbable meltdown uh, where they lost like a 16 point lead with like four minutes left in regulation against the Oklahoma City Thunder um, on their home floor. Like there, there was a lot of defensive breakdowns. Like there, there was a uh, one play that kind of stood out too, where uh, uh, I think Spencer Dinwiddie, like as switching, kind of progressed throughout the whole possession. He was like in the dunker spot. And he like, there was a breakdown for everyone's just kind of like having their palms up, and his shooter was open. <laughs> just like, like that type of stuff can't happen, uh, for sure. You know, if you're trying to go deep in the playoffs again, um, so yeah, it's like if if you're really evaluating it, um, like kind of as we are, if you don't if you want to play a certain style and you don't have those pieces, uh, then it gets complicated because then it's like, all right, so. Is there even potential to work this out in terms of coaching? If not, what what's the what's the play there uh, with limited assets for sure?
0: Yeah, and I think it's really unfortunate because, you know, Reggie Bullock is one of those guys that's been really good for them defensively, but just having a horrendous start to the season, shooting the basketball. So he's been playing less and less, especially here as of recent. Um, you know, I heard somebody talking about, I don't remember if it was 10 Bontents or something, but they were talking about how uh, – Reggie Bullock is kind of known for starting slow, so maybe for Dallas's case, hopefully that's just what this is right now. But I don't know.
1: Yeah, if you look at his like, it is like a monthly splits, so like kind of throughout his whole career, he he start he started slow like very often. And last year, it wasn't until like he came back from like a like a coronavirus like protocol like uh, like absence, I think like middle of the month or something like that. Um, and then he just started shooting at a very high clip. And actually, like honestly, the whole team. Uh, kind of started slow, uh, you know, uh, from three last year. And then they really like kind of got hot. I think Luca was shooting like around or below like 29% on off triple threes, uh, before like, um, he really got hot around February.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so yeah, like, uh, it's, it's kind of tough. Cause again, like, as we said earlier, like when they know they live and die by the three, but they don't necessarily have like the elite three point shooting that some of these other teams have. Right. Uh, that's kind of a tough identity to to kind of hang your hat on.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I am of the belief that over time, I think Reggie Bullock will be okay. I hope that that's the case for the Mavericks, but but we'll see. Um, yeah, go ahead, man. Tell you your best statement. Oh, yeah, for sure. I,
1: I think you're right. Like, uh, it would be like honestly like a statistical anomaly <laughs> for him to not improve. Um, <laughs> but then again, it's like, uh, overall, um, come playoff time, uh, h- how many of those guys that aren't like high level, like contested shot makers, uh, can you necessarily have when you go against a guy like the War or a team like the Warriors? Uh, like, like say they, they end up getting matched up again. I remember uh, there was quite a few possessions. Um, it was it got complicated where um, they overload on Luca uh, as a unit, and then Draymond, uh, you know, in stretches guards Jalen Brunson. So then your number one and your number two have a like really tough circumstances. Uh, and then the possessions kind of slow down. The ball hits the corner. And then all of a sudden, like Reggie Bullock or Dorian Finney-Smith are kind of having to make a play late in the clock. And they're not really capable of that on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of like one of the big things that I think uh, they needed to solve in the offseason and kind of still need to solve. Is it's like, who's that third option with size that you can kind of rely on? Um, But then again, it's also, is Spencer Dinwiddie the number two option that you can rely on since you don't have Jalen Brunson anymore? So, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of things that will definitely be interesting to kind of track throughout the whole uh, season with them.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you said that because I'm really intrigued on it, and it's something that you talked about with Dinwiddie earlier. You know, I feel like whenever I watch the Mavs, it's a lot of, like with Dinwiddie specifically, it will be interesting to see him as a second option in the playoffs because the playoffs, you know, it's much more half-court, defenses get tight. You know his game is more of like, you know, this the dribble separation to create the step back three or just like rim pressure, and it's like how is he as a second option without you know the the direct use of maybe the mid range game or going to create. So that that is intriguing.
1: For sure, and I think last year um, he struggled uh, for a lot of their series. Um, you know, like earlier in the playoffs, especially like uh, like the Utah Jazz, there there were a problem for him, uh, like with Gobert um kind of anchoring that uh that paint protection and then you have uh deandre Aiden, uh, hanging around the paint a lot too um and then uh you know it's kind of a thing where it's like all right so luka Doncic is probably he's best equipped kind of playing those teams that like to be stubborn with their coverages uh, but is spencer dinwiddie uh going to be comfortable to kind of play that style of uh rim pressure or step back three like you said um like like is at their best are they basically playing the same type of basketball and then if the answer is no then it's like that's probably not your your ideal number two
0: yeah um and you know just a few more questions uh before i let you go man um what first one who do you think should be their starting five going forwards
1: I think um kind of going forward um I think they should try Christian Wood uh for an extended period and just see like what the defense looks like against starting talent see if they can work through it for a while and if they really don't feel like they can work through it then you're probably close enough to the trade deadline to where you probably uh kind of make a move um of some kind uh because you know I don't I don't think they're they're their center rotation in the playoffs last year uh, like with Powell and uh, Kleba was enough Mm -hmm. uh, because Powell like he kind of ends up hanging behind uh, the defense and then the overload and he's not a rim protector as we said earlier. So then it's like, that's not an answer. Kleba is a solid small ball option, but like if Christian Wood isn't that, that, uh, that long-term answer and JaVale McGee definitely is not that answer then it's, you really probably want to get at least all the information you can by at least starting Wood since you've tried everything else and then evaluate it from there for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I like that. I don't, I don't have any problems with it. When I when I was looking at this, um, I was thinking about the the Dinwoody, Luca, Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian Finney-Smith, and Powell lineup. I mean, they've not played a whole lot together. Only 152 possessions have a plus 8.8 net rating. You know, I, I totally love what you're saying about the just try Christian Wood and see if we need to move on. And I actually think I'm probably more for that looking at it afterwards. But um, I, I guess if if Christian Wood is the plan this year, I kind of like that starting five with Wood coming off the bench. It's like the scoring punch. And, you know, I, I just think it's been interesting that the last six games, Tim Hardaway Jr. has started and is averaging north of 20 points per game on almost 53 uh, percent shooting from three on 10 attempts. I mean, it's just crazy considering that before that point. Uh, he was, you know, before those six games, it was 10.5 points per game from 29% from three on an even lower volume. So I, I like the starting Tim Hardaway Jr. I guess I wouldn't mind either way if Wood was coming on or off, but I I, I really want to see Hardaway Jr. staying in that starting lineup going forward.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I think uh, it definitely gives them a lot more options and versatility offensively because, um, you know, I think they end up getting stuck in that kind of stagnant, like, High pick and roll, ISO uh, space out kind of style, uh, without much for like extra layers to it. Like they were able to run like, uh, you know, like stack pick and roll more because uh, you're not like they did do that in the playoffs with Block, but he's not really that same like like tough shot maker. Uh, like against the Nuggets, there was a big uh, like couple examples. Uh, where, you know, Hardaway had a hard run out. He used a shot fake, dribbled into a pull-up. Like, that's stuff you're not going to get from Bullock. And I mm-hmm. think uh, you need those kind of dimensions uh, to your your off-ball guys um, if you're going to be able to to kind of, like, take pressure off Luka um, throughout a playoff run for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, I definitely think he he just helps enhance that offense even more, kind of like you said. Um, and, you know, just kind of last question, uh, or just last little segment here. You know, I asked you – my original thing on, on my outline for you was who should be in their top eight, but I guess I'm going to word it a little differently. Kind of who are those next few guys that you think really need to be key parts of this rotation, either in your opinion or just for them to be successful?
1: I think a big example uh, right now of, of someone that kind of fits that mold is Josh Green. Yes. Um, you know, I think he's he's uh, he, he's definitely uh, been very successful. It's, I think that's their probably their best, like high volume – Two man lineup is uh, him and Luca. Um, th- it's not a perfect thing right now uh, because you know he hasn't had enough of an extended sample to where you're like, yeah, he's he's a high efficiency three point shooter because yeah. you know, he's he's picking his spots uh, where it's a favorable look. He's going to take it. Um, I do think at times uh, he's overly aggressive defensively, getting fouls and it kind of gets in trouble in that regard. Um, but I definitely think like kind of goes back to that whole uh, like like sort of line of thinking with the Christian Wood uh, like starting uh, like kind of like thought is that, uh, you know, Josh green playing him for an extended period of time uh, in games. If that foul trouble becomes a real problem, you pr- that's probably something that he's going to have to work out over his career anyways. So that shouldn't be like something that prevents you from giving him that like, you know, up to 30 plus uh, sort of minute workload Um, because at least you can kind of see how he handles it um, and then uh, work out some problems. And then offensively, um, I think he does add some intriguing stuff. Like uh, he's getting more confident kind of shooting on the pick and pop, and he's got that ability to attack straight down the middle of the defense that other guys in those like ghost screening uh, situations kind of can't do. And I think that makes the Mavs all the more challenging to kind of account for uh you know in that situation and just like throughout the flow of possessions like he can actually attack a close out with real aggression and finish like in the paint at a high level and like hit the open man when he draws help um those are things that i also don't really see much from bullock um i think he struggles in those areas and uh you know like you know if you have Hardaway and green perhaps more um with uh luca Um, that could be very intriguing kind of having multi-layered guys attacking the closeouts that he hasn't really had uh, previous previously in his career.
0: Yeah. um, You know, I totally agree with that stuff. You know, you were talking about some uh, uh, how, how good they are, like him on the floor, just him on the floor in general, They have a plus 11.9 net rating Um, him plus Luca that you referred to in 487 possessions is a plus 25.9 net rating. And then also, you actually tweeted about this, and I've looked at it ever since because it's intrigued me so much, was the little three-man lineup of, like, Josh Green, Luca, and Christian Wood. Um, That lineup in 313 possessions is a plus 35.2 net rating, which is just insane. Um, I'm intrigued to see if he gets on the floor more. Um, I I do like what he brings. You know, forget X is no stuff. He's a big-time athlete, and I think that they just kind of need some pop sometimes that they don't get from other guys that he brings on both ends. Just like you said, like attacking closeouts, getting to the rim a little bit, activity on defense. I know he's fouling a little bit, but just something that they don't have with some of the other guys, and that's what I like about him.
1: I agree because I think a big thing with uh, – like when you when you kind of see that through numbers, uh, a big example of it – Is in how they handle, uh, you know, rebounding. Uh, They're at their best containing uh, opposing teams on the offensive glass when he's on the floor, and they're at their worst when he's off the floor. Like he's just got a lot of energy and a lot of uh, explosiveness and great nose for the ball that you just don't necessarily get from other guys.
0: No, um, you know, some of the other guys. I think the other guys are pretty obvious for the most part. I've obviously got, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I think Reggie Bullock's gonna be fine. He's in there for me. Like, you know, the guys that start regularly, like but coming off the bench. I just think that the guys for me that are just no-goes are JaVale. And then they've tried. Last year they tried it some when they made the trade. They tried it some this year. The davis Berton stuff. I mean, I'm just not too big on it, me personally. Um, and then I think there's a lot of people kind of – not a lot of people, but I feel like there's some people that really want to see more Hardy stuff. And that's just kind of a lot to ask from a rookie in a team with this kind of aspirations.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's uh, pretty challenging to kind of work him in, and that's something that they kind of, like, uh, commented on and struggled with in the last little bit because uh, it gets into this mode where you know the fans are excited for it, so then you kind of, you know, you see something like he scores, like, 10 straight uh, in, like, a span of two minutes to close a game mm-hmm. uh, and then it gets everyone excited. And then, uh, you know, before the game, uh i i think uh jason kidd was like we need to find him minutes at some point and we will and then he does that 10 points in two minutes and then it's like twitter's not the coach like uh, (laughs) like now we have to reel this back in more (laughs) more aggressively uh it'll be that'll be something kind of entertaining to follow throughout the year because i think deep down it's pretty like like straightforward with what it was to enter the year where it's like he's gonna spend time between both teams. If there's an injury, he'll get a chance. And I think that's often what like Kid alludes to when he's talking about, you know, we'll find minutes for him. But yeah, the fan, the fan pressure is like kind of building uh, you know, as he kind of has those flashes and moments, uh, like he did against the Suns and and a little bit against the Knicks too.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm a believer that there is some potential there, but also you know, I think some of the uproar on Twitter specifically gets a little outrageous. Uh, I mean, a rookie's not going to walk in, uh, uh, you know, especially guy that fell to say around, even though I think their potential, there, there's no walking in and just being like some 18 point per game compliment or anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely interesting, too, because I think a lot of people like kind of are, like, I, I definitely see where it is coming from on, on like, his comment about, like, the Twitter coach thing to an extent, yeah. too, because, like, there, there's, there's a sense that, like, you can just, like, completely take Reggie Bullock out of your rotation and give him zero minutes, and then, like, somehow you're going to work it out to where Jaden Hardy's going to play, like, I don't know how many minutes the expectation would be there. I'm sure Green would catch some of those in that hypothetical, but, like... Yeah, like it's like are you going to play Luca, Hardy and Hardaway? Uh, you know what I mean? Like like that's probably not getting many stops defensively, defensively for sure. It's
0: very true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, it's it's interesting. But hey Grant, really appreciate you coming on, my man.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I uh, enjoy talking to you for sure.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. But guys, uh, you know, like I said at the beginning, Grant's Twitter is just his name. It's, we'll pull it up again, but it's Grant Afset, and Afseth. is spelled A-F-S-E-T-H. So go give him a follow. Puts out great stuff all the time. Grant, I'll stay in touch with you. I really appreciate you coming on. man.
1: Yeah, have a good one. Thanks for having me. And now I'm happy
0: to bring on Nathan Marzion uh, on Twitter, N A T H A N M A R Z I O N. Nathan, thank you so much for coming on, man.
2: What's up, man? Thank you for having me. Yeah, appreciate you uh, asking me to come on.
0: Yeah, so guys, Nathan is a big time Bucks fan. Um, you know, been able to follow him for a while. Uh, it's been interesting to see how much your following has grown. You know, you're up to forty one thousand followers now. How's that been for you? Uh, just on social media side of things just continuing to grow
2: yeah it's been it's been crazy I mean I never thought it would get to where it's gotten especially like I mean it's one thing when it's a, a team that I mainly tweet about the Bucks, but it's one thing when it's a very popular team and you know bigger market and it's like I don't know I just never thought I'd get this far tweeting about you know the Milwaukee Bucks. and luckily Giannis has risen and um, you know all these they've gotten me really really good so that's helped it a lot and winning the championship and everything, but yeah, it's just crazy because it's like, I don't know there, but when I, we were doing this back in like, I think I started, I don't know, probably 2016 ish. Like there just wasn't that many people that liked the bucks and now it's like a huge thing of, of Giannis and the bucks.
0: Yeah. Definitely crazy to see uh, the ascension of that team. Cause it's, it's no, it's no big market at all. No compared to, especially compared to, you know, others in the league. Yeah. Um, you know, you just finished school. You're a, you, you were, we were talking off plot about what you do, uh, but you are a contributor for behind the books. Uh, how did that kind of come about and how have you enjoyed your time there so far?
2: Yeah. So I write occasional articles on there. Um, they've, uh, they kind of just asked me at the beginning of right before last season. Um, I think it was about a year ago now. And they had just asked me, you know, if I wanted to come on and, and do some stuff with them. So yeah, I'm, you know, enjoying that and, uh, whenever I kind of have time to just crank out an article or write something on, um, what's been going on with the Bucks lately. So yeah, it's, it's definitely cool to have, you know, avenues and platforms to kind of get your stuff out there. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been cool.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm sure that's fun. Cause it's like, you know, Twitter only so many characters, whereas yeah, yeah. You, know, you can get your full words out and whatever you want to talk about on that piece. So that's it's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, but let's get into some bucks talk now this season. Um, Currently the second best record sitting at 18 and six right now, second in the East, though, because of the scorching hot Celtics. Um, you know, even more impressive considering that you guys have only had three games of Middleton. I I meant to look it up, but I can't remember how many games of Connaughton, but he he was out for a long time before the season, uh, whenever the season started. And, you know, who knows where this goes, but no Joe Ingles either, considering you guys signed him over the offseason. Uh, just initial thoughts so far, almost 33 percent into the regular season.
2: I definitely thought they'd get out to a pretty slow start. I thought they'd be hovering, you know, the first 10 to 12 games, whatever they had without Middleton. I thought they'd be hovering around 500, honestly, because we saw in the playoffs, I mean, they took Boston to seven, they gave them a heck of a series, but they just didn't have the offensive firepower to really consistently like hang in those games and win games. And um, I just was like, you know, the offense is going to be inconsistent and you're just thinking, okay, there's going to be games you lose because you just don't have enough offense. And, then they start nine and oh and we were just I mean it was insane we were like I can't I could not believe they were nine and oh and they just looked awesome and the offense wasn't even that good I mean it has been inconsistent it has been um you know below average and it's just that their defense has been so dang good Brooke Lopez has been huge having him back he was missed most of last year and that um hurt their defense but um and then it's nice to have Giannis (laughs) yeah so he's been he's been awesome and yeah, I mean, 18-6 and six is is absolutely fantastic for, as you said, missing Middleton for almost the whole year, Pat Connaughton for almost the whole year. Even Giannis and Drew have missed some games. It's just, it. I mean, good to get them healthy again and have kind of the full team uh, getting back now. But the fact that they were able to, you know, still be among the, the league leaders uh, at this point in the season without those guys is definitely very impressive.
0: Yeah, I, t- I totally agree about you saying that, you know, you thought they'd get off to a slow start. I was a little skeptical as well. Just because like you said, you know, in the playoffs without Middleton, the offense looked very slow and especially like, you know, kudos to them took Boston to seven. It was a crazy series. But like that was with Giannis performing at this insane level. And don't get me wrong. He plays at at such an MVP level every night. But like to like if you would have told me they were 18 and six to that to this point, I would think that you were getting the production of that playoff series. And he's still performing at a very high level, but just others really pitching in and being able to contribute to a team that's had really good success so far.
2: Yeah. And I mean, Drew has been really good. And, you know, some of those guys on the bench have been better than I think we expected them to be. And like I said, Brooke Lopez, people really did think even, I mean, it was mainly Bucks fans that were kind of skeptical about, could we get a really good Brooke Lopez? He's coming off back surgery. He's going to be, you know, he's like 34 years old or whatever he is now. And the signs were there that he might decline, not be as good defensively and just, you know, slow and everything, but he has been so, so good for us on both ends, um, protecting the paint, arguably better than anyone else in the league so far this year and then his shooting has been really good it's it's just yeah guys have stepped up and come together and um yeah and i mean javon carter off the bench is someone who we wanted to see against boston unfortunately bud bud didn't bud roll with george hill for the whole series which was disappointing for us but uh javon's come in and he's had some huge games and there was the one game where we were missing all our guys and he had like i think he had 36 and 12 36 points 12 assists And we were like, that's just absurd, like the kind of stuff that's that's happened so far this season. But um, yeah, always good to kind of show and and have our depth, um, you know, show in early in the season. And I think they've done that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that game that you just uh, hinted at. I think that's always a pretty good indicator of like when your team's really clicking, like especially your role guys, you know, handling business, even whenever, you know, in that instance, no Giannis, no Middleton, no Drew, just coming off a loss to the Lakers. And then they just come right back without those three and, you know, get a win and get right back on track. So, yeah, I mean, they've definitely been super impressive, but you know, straight to Chris Middleton. Now he's back, got three games under his belt. Just vaguely. Have you liked what you've seen so far?
2: I mean, it hasn't been anything special. He's, he was pretty, he was good in the first game against LA and I was, you know, impressed at him being able to come back and play well in his first game, had a, a rough one on, what was it? Monday night. And then, um, last night he was okay. He wasn't anything special, but I mean, they're working him back. I'm not going to, I'm not going to overreact to, you know, the first couple of games or anything. So it's good to just see him out there and at least have, have him out there be able to, you know, have some ISO possessions with him. Cause again, without him there, there were just so many possessions that you're like, man, I wish we had Chris Middleton. I wish we had that bailout guy that can just go get a bucket because you know, Giannis can obviously do it, but it gets old just he being, you know, Giannis as mainly the only guy that can really get his own shot. Drew can do it sometimes, and then everyone else is more of a shooter, not really a a bucket getter. So it's just good to have Chris back to to have some of those possessions back.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Um, You know, Giannis is going to be Giannis. Drew's really good. But I think that Drew can be a little bit more successful, especially efficiency-wise when he's not that second option, whenever he's the third option. And, uh, you know, they've really missed, especially in the playoffs last year whenever uh, Milton was out, just being able to go, you know, Giannis and Chris' two-man game. And so that being able to even come back, like, I mean, I know it's only been three games, but like Middleton, I think it's like right now, obviously three games in, but six assists per game. I mean, that's a really good number. And it's obviously not all to just Giannis, but it's like maybe maybe there's some more playmaking. I don't know. Like it's just something to keep an eye on. And then obviously he's not shooting too well, but it's like it's three games coming back from a knee injury. I'm just surprised that he's back on this early. And so I think that's got to be very optimistic, that you have to be very optimistic if you're a Bucs fan right now.
2: Yeah. And you mentioned, I mean, the, the Giannis, Chris pick and roll is like, I, I wish they would just do it all the time. Cause I mean, they do it a, a good amount, but it's like, especially in the clutch, I'm like, that's going to get you a good look almost yeah. all the time. You, you know, Chris can score for the mid range. If they come over on Chris, okay. Giannis will be open. If they completely collapse on Giannis, someone else is open. It always gets a good look for someone. And um, yeah, I mean, I just missed having that. And, you know, again, Drew can do that a little bit, but he's definitely better, you know, as like a third option more. And, um, you know, not, not having to carry the load too much offensively. And yeah. So with Chris coming back, I mean, honestly, it was, I think for most Bucks fans, I think he was out longer than we anticipated. Most people were hoping he'd be back kind of mid November ish and maybe early November. And then he took maybe, you know, a month ish longer than we thought, but yeah, nobody with us winning games, it wasn't like, nobody was sitting there. Oh, we need Chris Milton back. You know, they started nine and oh, and you were like, okay, take your time. Like, it's fine.
0: (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, just kind of going back to whenever he did get the injury, uh, I'm kind of kind
2: of forgetting as we go back. Like, did you guys have a sense
0: that he was probably done whenever he got hurt against Chicago?
2: Yeah, he because I was I was at that game. It was game two against Chicago. He gets hurt. And I remember we knew right away. I think it came out like he's he had a whatever he fracture. I don't remember exactly what it was. And um, they knew right away he was going to be out for the Bulls series. But we didn't know about boston and we all kind of you know me when i say we bucks fans i mean we all were pretty much like okay if he's not able to go against boston we don't really have much of a shot because you knew how good boston was you knew that even with chris it would be tough and we were just like if we don't have him i mean we're probably losing in, in five games or something like that and then throughout that series you were kind of every like hoping okay maybe he can come back by game five maybe he can come you know and unfortunately never came back, but still, again, it was, I was very impressed with how we played in that series without him. Um, it was, it was disappointing. Cause you, we really wish he could have been out there. Cause I feel like we would have beaten them if we did have him. But I mean, if you would have told me we'd be up three, two on Boston without him, like that's absurd to me. And it speaks to how good Giannis was. And um, cause I mean, that's the thing too, is it wasn't like a bunch of other guys stepped up. It was most of our team played pretty bad in that series. I mean, Grayson Allen sucked. Um, all of our shooters were pretty bad and it was just, Giannis was, I mean, otherworldly. So,
0: yeah. And I mean, I think something that's like worth noting and, you know, especially whenever teams are kind of comparing like who's at the top this year of contention. And, and I totally think Boston is up there as well, but I think it's just worth noting, you know, I'm not trying to say at all. I take Boston to take Milwaukee, but like, I mean, you guys went up one O in that series. You went up two, one, went up three, two. And then you just couldn't hold on in game seven and Grant Williams had the game of his life. And I mean, that's just kind of Bud took a gamble on, you know, letting Grant shoot as much as he wanted and Grant just capitalized on it. And that's just, it is what it is sometimes. And especially considering without Middleton, I mean, I just remember being like in awe, just couldn't really believe that that series even went to seven. You know, it was just, I just can't imagine being a Bucks fan because it would be mixed emotions at that point because it is like, man, we just did this without Middleton, but it's like, we were just this
2: close. Yeah. And dude, that game six. So we went up three, two, had a game six at home. And Giannis had 44 and 20 in that game. And it was like, you know, cause Giannis in closeout games is he always comes out looking for blood. And it was like, he, he came out and was amazing. And you were just like, if we could get anything from any other player, like if someone just stepped up a little bit, we move on, but nobody did. We ended up losing. And it was just, that's what was disappointing is you're just like, man, if one person stepped up, and it wasn't just Giannis carrying us, we we would have moved on. But again, it is what it is. Like the game seven, Grant Williams, like you, you kind of live with that. And, you know, you, you look at it and you say, okay, I mean, it makes me more optimistic going forward that if we have Chris, we can beat pretty much any team in this league. I mean, we, we already showed that in, in by winning a championship, but it's this team's still pretty dang good.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, just speaking on Giannis, obviously, you know, I think one thing that we've, kind of learned at this point especially after that bubble year and they kind of retooled is like you know uh, a pissed off Giannis is not really something to be played with he's as as good as he is it's like he's even better whenever he's got this little chip on his shoulder and he's kind of shown that so far i mean i know he's not particularly finishing as some people would like but just what he's been able to do to lead this team to an 18-6 record so far is just crazy you know he always does it on both ends um You know, when you're talking about Giannis this season so far, have you been more impressed with like last season or are you just kind of like, at this point, are you just with Giannis like, Giannis is Giannis?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know exactly what you're getting and it the the numbers are absurd. Like every year, it's like we take it for granted that he puts up basically 30, 12, and five every single year. Um, And I mean, this year he started out extremely high. He was awesome and, um, you know, helped us get to 9-0. and Then he had a little bit of like, a bad stretch he was kind of inefficient the free throws got bad he mm-hmm. just didn't look like himself i don't know if he was like going through it or i don't know what was going on he might have been a little bit dinged up i know he had some injuries and stuff but it looked like mentally he was just a little bit not there and you could just sense he was off and people i mean some bucks fans got a like concerned i'm like guys like it's Giannis. he can have a couple bad weeks it's okay it's like four <laughs> games of him yeah. just not him only putting up 20 to 25 instead of 30. and Then he comes back, the whole ladder thing happens. And since then he's been incredible. I mean, he has like he's averaging like 36 over his last, you know, nine games or whatever it is, and if you know, been very efficient again. The free throws are getting better, jump shots looking a little bit better. So I've been impressed with how he, you know, was able to kind of just quickly snap out of that at that cold streak, as I knew he would, but it's like it's still impressive that he can go from someone who people were like, Wow, he's kind of looking bad, and all of a sudden he's Giannis again and is just you know, tearing the world on, putting, tearing the world on fire.
0: Yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously his run mate right now, even even uh, when Milton was out, Drew Holiday, just remember that big three. To me, it's just seemed like, you know, this is his third year with the Bucs now. And I just feel like every year it's like he's become more and more comfortable. And I know that's not crazy considering it's just his third year there and you would kind of expect that. But it's like, I guess to me, since he's not like old, but I mean he's 32 right now and it's just like, he just continues to look better to me on the Bucks, and that's a scary thing for the rest of the league. If he is still as good as he's already been with the Bucks, to keep on looking more comfortable and to keep being—you know—he's elevated his scoring so far. If you ended the season right now, every season.
2: Yeah, and I mean the the only thing with with Drew that we've had, you know, people have been able to kind of complain about is that in the playoffs his scoring, his efficiency isn't really there. But it's because he tries. You know, he like he's has such a big role defensively. It's hard to keep it up offensively. I mean, there's very few guys that are able to be absolutely 100% elite on both ends. I mean, Giannis is one of the very, very few who can. And so, I mean, that's literally the only thing. He's been awesome in the regular season, offensively scoring wise. And as you said, he's getting more comfortable. Um, You know, we saw it his first year, there were just more inconsistencies. It was a little bit worse. And then the the past couple of years, he's just been so, so good for us and um, being that floor general and everything. And yeah, I mean, we kind of know going into the playoffs, okay, Drew's offense is going to take a little bit of a step back. It's going to be more on Giannis and Chris to kind of carry the load. And again, that's what made that playoff series without Chris so hard is you're like asking Drew to, you know, you need 20, 25 from him every single night. And it's just hard to do that when you're, when he's, you know, guarding the other teams, arguably their best player usually. And um, you know, he's just given so much on that end. It's, it's, it's a lot to ask. And so um, it'll just, I'm just excited to see us again, healthy and, um, see what everyone can do kind of in their normal role. Cause we saw it in that, you know, playoff run in 2021, Drew was awesome defensively. He had moments offensively, even though it was inconsistent, it was, you know, more than enough for us to to win. So uh, excited to see that again.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's, you know, and I, I know you know this being a Bucks fan, but like, it's not just like he's getting these tough assignments. I mean, he is guarding them quite literally as well as anybody possibly could. I mean, he is in my opinion, the best perimeter defender in the league. And it's like, just the things he does on that end that'll never go on a stat sheet are just incredible and something that like could help any team trying to win a championship.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you, anyone who watches him and actually like, if you pay attention to his defense, it's so, it's awesome to watch. Cause you're just, he tries so hard and it's like, he's just such a pest out there that, and I mean, adding, you know, we've had Javon Carter now for, you know, about a year. And it's like, those two guys together are, are really fun to watch on that end. And just, they kind of, you know, we have Giannis and Brooke, could control the paint and those guys as the point of attack defenders it's just it's awesome an awesome combination to have and it really just can uh you know mess things up for for teams offensively and you know it's interesting to watch every time he plays against like uh you know going against some some tougher matchups and just seeing him kind of you know you, you just see the impact he has and how he's able to make great players just throw them off their game a little bit it's like and you're not going to be able to stop them you're not going to be able to um you know lock them up completely but it's like he's able to do enough to always kind of just throw them off a little bit and that just helps everything so
0: yeah i I will never forget um i don't remember i don't remember if it was like a podcast or a post-game presser or something and kevin durant you know they were asking him like you know who's like your least favorite matchup and he said Giroux. and it's like in, in your head you're like why would a guy that's like seven eight inches shorter than kd give him so many problems and it's just, like, that's just how good he is on that end. And regardless of him being, like, a normal guard, he still
2: can give anyone one through five real issues. He's so dang strong. Like, he he can just go in the post and guard these guys. Like, I, I remember a couple of years ago when we first got him, and one of the first games it was, like, he was guarding Blake Griffin in the post, and, like, like Blake Griffin could not move him. And I was, like, holy crap, this guy is awesome. Like, it just – you knew he was a good defender, but again, seeing it like every single night, you just, you really appreciate what he's able to do. And yeah, like you said, guarding so many positions, it's like, you can, you can go against someone who's way taller than him, you know, bigger than him and he's still able to hold his own. It's it's awesome.
0: Yeah. And you know, you guys, obviously drew is so great. Giannis is so great. Lopez is so great, but just so many guys that buy in defensively and that has led so far to the number one defense in the NBA with 107.8 uh, defensive rating um,
2: is there anybody on
0: the Bucks roster that you think doesn't get enough credit for their defense?
2: Man, I mean, the the normal guys get the credit, like Brooke, Giannis, Drew, I think those guys deserve a lot of the credit and they get it. Um, I I do think Javon Carter might be the guy that like everyone knows Javon Carter's a good defender, but I mean, having him step up, he he had a, he was a starter this year for you know when we started the season with with no Chris. And I think him being able to like go into the starting role and still be very impactful defensively going against the first unit, um, that that's been really impressive to see. And I also think, I mean, there's some guys on the bench that that you know play some good defense, but I don't know. I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to probably just say Javon. Yeah. Uh, I,
0: I agree with it. I mean, he's such a pest, like, he's just all on the, it, He's just—he's kind of like Drew in the sense that nothing's easy at all, especially on the ball. He just knows where to be off the ball. Uh, I just remember whenever you got, whenever you guys got him, and I'm like, "Well, just another freaking three and D guy that they've got on the team now." Like it's just the roster construction. um, John Horse has just done a great job.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's been it's been awesome. And I mean, when we got it's funny because when we got Javon, not many people were actually that excited about it. We were actually more excited because we had gotten DeAndre DeAndre Bembry in we had acquired him too. I
0: forgot about that. Cause then he got hurt.
2: Yeah. But he was supposed to be the, like, we were more like, okay, we got Bember who can make a little bit of an impact. And then Javon, it was kind of like, I, he, I don't think this guy is that good. Nets fans were all like, he sucks. Like you can have him, And all of a sudden, yeah, he was playing, he shot like 55% from three with us. And then, you, you know, he had the defense of course. And we were like, Holy cow. Like this guy is playing exactly like, he's doing exactly what we need out of a backup point guard. And you know, again, I wish he had played more in that Boston series, just at least to, to see what would have happened because those George Hill minutes were not good. And, um, you know, I, Hill's been a little bit better this year, but still it's like, I just, I wish we would have thrown Javon out there and at least given it a shot. But, um, yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. Like it was a very pleasant surprise. And as you mentioned, I mean, the roster construction overall, just basically since horse took over, since basically 2018, um, you know, when Giannis became Giannis, it's like, it's just they've done a really good job of of finding the right fits, finding the guys that culture wise fit. And, you know, if there were any issues and and guys that, you know, maybe they needed to upgrade, they've done it. That, you know, getting Drew to replace Bledsoe was awesome because Bledsoe was kind of got, you know, Bledsoe was really good, but it got to the point and with the playoff struggles and everything, you were just like, We need someone else. Like, we need yeah. a more reliable guy. And a better number three and they got drew and i mean that's what changed everything so
0: and i, I think that's what gets kind of shoved under the rug sometimes too is like let's well, it wasn't bad for yeah. se. just you just have to improve to get to the highest level and they mm. went and did that and um you know i think just what's interesting to point out is like and i i had uh one of your all's assistant coaches that coaches your g league that coaches the bucks g league affiliate on over the summer uh chase and allen and Me and him were just talking, and he was just saying how good of a job that John has done just continuing to make sure this team improves on a yearly basis.
2: Yeah, and I think they've, like, picked their spots well. They're not out there just making moves to make moves. It's like they are making moves that are upgrades, and when they don't need to upgrade or when they're, you know, have a good team. that Like, this past offseason, they didn't really, like, improve much, but it was fine because you're looking at it and you're like, okay, we won the championship in 21. We got Grayson Allen after that. Um, and he was a good addition, another nice shooter to have you, I I mean, you could make the argument we win it again, if Chris is healthy. So it's like, if we're, you know, could have been back-to-back champs, if we're simply healthy last year, what's there to really change? Like, you don't need to go out, overreact and try to, you know, go trade pieces and, and, and kind of overhaul it and, or, you know, move too much around. It's like, stick with your team, ride it out. And, you know, you've got a, a team, you know, can win a championship because they did. And I thought it was impressive that he was able to keep everyone around, keep the team together. Cause that's, that's the other thing. I feel like GMs don't get credit. You know, they get credit when they go out and make a move and upgrade. They don't really get credit when they take a good team and are able to retain all those players, because that it's not easy to do. It's not easy to build a culture that guys want to stay. And, you know, that they, they've done that and all the, they kept the whole team together. So it was awesome. Yeah. Especially
0: in the way, you know, it seems today's NBA culture is where it's like a lot of teams, you know, they take a crack or two at it and it's like they blow up. And I mean, obviously the Bucks won a championship, but it's like, you know, you just never know the way some teams might react if they were in the Bucks shoes last year. And so now just being able to you know, run this team back and have everything and be a competent championship team, it's like that shows competence in the front office just by being able to run it back. So totally agree. Um, I, I did like the random flyer on Joe Ingles, you know, if it is okay. to pay off somehow. Is there do you guys have any kind of like timetable on that?
2: I'm not exactly sure. I'm, I think they said around there were, there were different reports coming out. I remember when we got him of when he'd be back. I'm guessing it'll be close to like, like maybe January, late January ish. I have no idea though. I could be completely wrong on that. Yeah. Um, they, I think that's what I kind of heard when we first, they were like, okay, ACL tear, they're guessing around January. Um, so I kind of just put it in my head of like, he'll miss close to half the season or whatever. Yeah. Um,
0: that, that's just something that to me, even if he's like the eighth man, that could totally pay off just because of his IQ
2: and the ability to be able to shoot it. And I think we one of the things we really need is a as I kind of mentioned before, we need like we have shooters off of the bench, but we don't really have like a ton of ball handlers guys that can go get their own shot or guys that can, you know run the offense it's more guys that are like supposed to like someone else can have the ball in their hands and they're kind of on the perimeter Ingles can handle the ball i'm excited to see what he can do at, like at the pick and roll and stuff like that um and you know at least he, he's gonna play hard you know he's gonna uh at least try on on defense he's a fine defender he's not gonna be amazing but um he's someone who you can at least have out there for for stretches and so yeah i that's what i'm most excited about is just having another guy that can potentially like run the offense and handle the ball
0: there, there definitely is a lot of potential for like a Ingles and Bobby Portis, like two man game, like, like to be one of the better bench pick and roll duos compared to other benches.
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. I know when we got him, um, I was, that was a guy that I was like, he, he'd be a good fit for us because of all those things.
0: Yeah. um, And, you know, I want to start talking about the offense, but first I just got to ask, I'm sure it's a narrative that you're pushing is is brooke lopez defensive player of the year is is that a thing being pushed in bucks in the bucks fan base right now
2: yeah i mean it's not it hasn't been crazy yet like it's still early but i do i think i think he honestly i I think you can make an argument he deserves it because um i mean the stuff he's doing around the rim is just absurd and i mean you can literally just look at our defense last year our defense this year it's i mean we, we have the same team um again we kept all these guys it's it's essentially the same exact team you're rolling out there but they went from like i don't know 17th 20th defensively to number one and it's like that that's brooke lopez right there
0: yeah for sure um and i think it was kind of underrated like how much he missed last year and like missing that impact in regular season obviously they were still you know towards the top of the conference but it's like they're probably the number one team in the conference last year because it took so long for the celtics to turn around and i'm trying to I remember who was the one seed last year. Like the, uh, I think it
2: was was it Philly?
0: I don't. I can't remember if it was Philly or not. That sounds that sounds right. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Or well, yeah, was it Philly or was Philly or Miami the one seed because they put? Oh, Miami. It was Miami. It was Miami. It was Miami. Yeah, and I mean they were dealing with a lot of injury stuff too. So it's just like maybe if you guys had. Lopez, maybe you guys are running it back being the first seed and have home court throughout the playoffs, you know, that kind of, so it's like his stuff like that, like his impact, you know, especially as a guy that's not even part of the big three, like totally valuable, like in so many ways, Um, you know, obviously Giannis could be argued like his defensive player of the year guy in any given year, but I just think it's worth giving some love to Brooke Lopez just because of what he's, you know, you've talked about it so much already, but just what he's doing right now.
2: Brooke really, unlocks Giannis on that. And not that Giannis can't be a great defender on his own, but when Giannis is like Brooke was out and Giannis had to play more at the five and, you know, when you're going against a good center, it causes Giannis to kind of, he, he the reason Giannis doesn't always guard the other team's best player is he's better as an off ball defender rather than on ball. And when Brooks controlling the paint, it kind of allows Giannis to roam rather than be set on someone or be, you know, stuck at, at the rim all the time. It's like, he can, he can just roam and do his thing come and you know chase down blocks and um weak side help blocks and stuff like that it's that's what's awesome with Giannis is like that's that's where he is the best defensively and having brook there just to you know be in the paint control the paint is what really unlocks that
0: yeah for sure um you know now i want to talk about the offense some because obviously the defense is the defense they're gonna be good they've got so many guys that are good on that end the offense uh starting to come along a little bit. It was struggling at first, but now they're 12th overall with 113.7 offensive rating. All these stats, by the way, are per cleaning the glass. Um, they are at a 120.1 offensive rating in the last two weeks, which would be third. Um, but I just wanted to look at it because they were fifth last year. Now, obviously, a lot of it is, is Chris isn't there until now. Um, big, big issue. With some numbers that kind of stuck out to me was that this team is 24th in free throw rate, which is really, it's just really surprising considering especially a guy
2: like Giannis.
0: Um, what do you think may be some issues there, why they're not getting to the line so much?
2: Yeah, it's really, Giannis is really the only guy that does consistently get to the line. And a lot of it is just because, as I mentioned, you know, especially with no Chris, it's Giannis. And then it's a lot of just shooters and they're not guys that, thrive going to the hoop they're not guys that thrive off the dribble or getting into the paint and drawing fouls it's like you have Giannis who does that you have drew who does a little bit and then it's just guys that kind of spot up shoot and i think you know when your offense is mainly just you know it's Giannis and then spot up shooting most of your team's not going to be getting to the line and i think that's a, a a big reason why and again there's you know you could argue there's there's people that want to potentially trade some of our shooters like a Grayson allen for um you know the guys that might be better off the dribble and whatever i personally i'm i'm fine with with it how it is i think um in the long run you know when it healthy having Giannis obviously do his thing you have chris then to, to get some iso possessions get to the hoop a little bit drew can do it a little bit then i think you have enough guys that are able to do that and i'm fine just having a lot of shooters
0: yeah um and you know right now they're they're around league average and turnover rate uh they're, they are 7th in offensive rebounding rate they're 7th in three point field goal percentage shooting north of 38% really good they are 24th in mid range but I mean come on this has to be expected without Middleton there yep. um they were they were around league average last year and they're 15th at the rim you know I think a lot of these numbers are actually numbers that should make you optimistic about the bucks offense going forward especially the way they're trending and Middleton being back as he becomes more and more comfortable a lot of those things should go up. And then at that point, you're talking about a top 10
1: offense. Yep.
2: Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I didn't even realize they got up to 12th because uh, last I had checked, I know they were – and this was right before Chris came back. I know they were, yeah, like 17th or around there. Yeah. And so, yeah, I've definitely been been much more impressed with it. And it's just – as I already said, it's just so nice to – when you get Chris back and you have everyone healthy to finally see guys where everyone's playing the role that they're designed to play. When Chris was out or anyone's out, it just – it's like even Giannis, like you're asking him to do just that much more. And it's like, you know, you can't just put up 30. You got to go put up 40. And it's like, it's just such a tough thing to do to, to ask you guy to do that. And um, these guys like, you know, Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton, whatever, um, without Chris, they need to put the ball on the floor a little bit more. They need to get to the hoop a little bit more. That's not their strong suit. And you're just, it's kind of asking for trouble. It's asking for inefficiency when you're, you know, those Middleton ISO possessions, which are normally very good, are turning into, Pat Connaughton, Grayson Allen, you know, even Drew Holiday drives. Who they? It's just not their best game. And so, um, yeah, it's just finally good to see them all kind of in the role they're designed to be in.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now, the roster is great. We've touched on that. You kind of just touched on it the way you talked about Grayson Allen, how you felt about the team. Would there be anything around the edges that you would say, hey, I think we might could improve there? Or is there a guy around the league that sort of seems to be on the market that you're like, Hey, I'm,
2: I'm intrigued to see if we can maybe make a move at him. There's nobody that like, I, I'm, I'm content with things right now. Now, I, what I do want to do is I hope they can get Ingles back in enough time that you, before the, like the deadline, you can kind of gauge, okay, how is this going to work? Is this looking good? Is it looking bad? Because if Ingles doesn't look like it's going to be something that works out and I mean, hopefully it does. And hopefully this isn't even, doesn't even matter, but if it, let's say it doesn't. And you're saying okay. At that point, we really do need more of a a creator off the bench, someone who can you know get to get a bucket or, or just you know more of a ball handler. Then at that point, I think you could go make a trade. I right now, I mean, you could trade a Grayson Allen for a Jay Crowder or something like that. Is that a huge upgrade? I mean, not to me. Like they they're different players, but I don't think one is necessarily much better than the other. So again, for me, I'm like. They're playing well right now. I don't really see a need to go make a trade. I'm more waiting to, you know, see, okay, what does it look like with Ingles? Is there anything that really stands out as we need to go do this? Because right now there's not a ton that stands out to me. There's there's stuff they could do, but I'm not doing something just because you can. I want to do it because we need to.
0: For sure. You know, obviously, Jay Crowder would be the name that I would think of the most, just considering what's been linked. Uh, obviously, the Bucks have been, been interested considering uh, reported by The Athletic. Um, and Allen has been the name mentioned and, you know, you brought him up and how you were kind of content with how things are, but I just think it'd be interesting. Um, I I think that they're fine as is if they keep it that way. I also trust Horst and the rest of the front office, front office, if they were to make a move, I think it's pretty safe to say at this point that the bucks and the Celtics have kind of separated themselves from the rest of the league. And maybe we can see a rematch in the
2: playoffs. I, I really want to see a rematch because, Man, Celtics fans are, they're the worst. Just, I mean, I have to say, yeah, they're—I—I I can't stand them and I just, I want to beat them. And I mean, I think we should have last year, but they're, yeah, they're the two best teams right now. Like, I just want to see it from a pure basketball standpoint of, you know, right now their offense looks fantastic. Our defense looks fantastic. And I just want to see us go head to head, fully healthy and the two best teams. And I mean, I, that to me as of right now, and it's early, things can change, but as of right now, that's looking like the real kind of finals. Like, I don't know if anyone in the West is beating either of those teams with how they're playing right now.
0: Agreed. West is so shaky. And you know, you mentioned how good the Celtics offense is and how good the Bucks defense is. And on, kind of on the other side of things, your guys' offense is trending well and their defense is trending well. And their you guys were missing Chris. They were miss, they're missing Rob. I mean, just so many things are piecing for that to kind of be what you just said, like probably the finals going forward.
2: Yep. Yeah. It'll be it'll be a bloodbath but I mean it, those that that series last year was just so physical and it just was like had to be so draining for both of those teams I mean I do think that I mean we're a reason why you know they needed to go seven against Miami and why they struggled a bit in the, the Golden State series is we I do think the Bucks took a little bit out of them of just having a goal against Giannis for seven games and deal with the physicality and it just I do think it wore them down a little bit um and you know again if they if, if these two teams went at again it's it would be a, a wild series and one that definitely i think goes 6 or 7 games and one that you know both teams will come out like you know they'll be they'll be exhausted after that series
0: totally agree man uh it'll be interesting to see the bucks as we keep going forward you know like we said team with championship aspirations uh but you know nathan appreciate you coming on man had a great time
2: of course yeah, thank you for having me it was it was fun talking talking hoops with you
0: yeah, for sure, and you know, maybe there's something we can do on down the line at some point as well, uh, just because it's a really good time. Um, but with that being said, this is the end of episode thirty-three of the Coast to Coast Podcast. See you guys next week.